0: What is good, everybody? I hope y'all are having a great day or night or whatever time it is, wherever you're listening. I just wanna say thank y'all so much for continuing to come back every single week and and hang out with me. And I hope uh, what God has been putting on my heart to share, I hope it's been helpful for y'all as we go throughout the book of Romans. But I just wanna share something deep within my soul before we start. I just need to let y'all know I'm officially done with summer. I, I'm I'm just done. Christmas is hollering at me. I know it's months away. I get it, y'all. But bring on Christmas, please. I need some eggnog. I look, y'all are gonna see something change in the podcast episodes when Christmas time comes around. Y'all may think I'm a happy, upbeat person now. Oh my goodness! I might I might break out in song. I might break out in carol in the middle of episodes around Christmas time because I'm just a huge Christmas buff. I love the lights. I love the singing. I love the family time. I might even change the intro music to some in sync "Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday" stuff. I'm telling you, I'm so ready for it. And you're probably like Dante. Just get into Romans 11, and I, I will. I promise you. Uh, because look. Y'all may not like Christmas time, and it's okay because Jesus still loves you even though you're wrong. I promise you. I promise you. But hey, some of y'all in other countries might celebrate different holidays other than Christmas, and I would actually love to learn about that. If, if y'all celebrate other holidays, uh, shoot me an email, message me on the Instagram page or Facebook. I would love to hear what y'all celebrate uh, because I just think that time of year is always a great time to spend with family. And loved ones, and give thanks to God for all that He has given us. But we're hopping into Romans 11. And just a heads up, Romans 11 is going to be a long one. It's probably going to be another two episodes to finish it out. Um, there's just so much going on, and I wouldn't be doing it justice if I just went through the whole chapter in one episode. You know, it, it just wouldn't be doing it justice. There's so much stuff that we need to break down. But if you'll remember, last episode, we left off in verse 10. In verse ten, has Paul explaining that a remnant of Israel will be saved, but a portion won't, and that they'll be hardened, and their own abundance and trust in themselves will be their downfall. He uses the phrase "their table will be their downfall." And stemming from that, hopping into the next few verses, it causes us to ponder this question and the focus on this topic, and that is, can you be past salvation? Like, can you have messed up so many times? Can you have committed such a sin that in essence, you're unsavable? That's kind of the question that arises here. And Paul's going to, Paul's going to answer that. In verses 11 through 16, that's what we're going to be covering romans chapter 11 verses 11 through 16 like we always do We're going to read through the material and then we're going to break it down verse by verse So if you have your bibles open if you're looking on the app or if you just want to listen along Let's get it verse 11 paul says so I ask Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means rather through their trespass salvation has come to the gentiles So as to make israel jealous If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. All right. Hopping straight into verse 11. Paul says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And this is where we get to the topic of can you be unsavable? Can you commit such egregious sins? Can you continue in such an egregious lifestyle for so long that when you finally recognize your wrongs and you want to come to God? Are you unsavable? Are you unforgivable? Have you done something so bad that? That you 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 can't make up for it that it can't be made up for that's the question And that's what paul is asking here. Did they stumble in order that they might fall and remember? Paul is talking about the Jews here. He's talking about Israel. And so let's break this down. So, stumble, when he says stumble, this implies a momentary slip up. Not to say slip up in the sense that it's something minor and and nothing that important, but it was a moment in time where you made a mistake. You, You sinned, you went against God. It was a certain moment in time. You stumbled. And then when he says fall, this implies a permanent result. This means that you have officially and finally fallen from God's presence and God's grace. When you, when you fall in this context, that's it. That's it. Stumbling implies that you're able to, to keep on going. You're able to pick yourself back up and keep going. But falling implies that you get cut off. That's the end. And this question that Paul asks He's not asking it because he's trying to think through it himself. This is a question, it's a rhetorical question. Paul is anticipating that the Jewish uh, listeners to this letter would be asking this question. And so this question was expected. And they would probably be asking this. They'd be asking if God caused Israel to stumble so that they could just be totally removed from his people. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 9. That Christ acted as a stumbling stone. So, so this would have been partial reason why the Jews listening would have said, Well, w- Paul, hold up, man. Did God cause us to stumble so that we can just officially fall and no longer be his people? Because Romans 9, verse 32 through 33, it says, They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And what Paul quotes from in Romans 9, like we talked about a few episodes ago, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 8 verse 14. And so this would have been a natural reaction from the Jews to question and say, hey, was God setting us up? Because they look back at Isaiah and it's already been prophesied that God was going to place a stumbling stone to cause Israel to to stumble. And so the question would have been inevitable like, yo, Paul, did God set us up so that we can just fall? Was that his plan all along? In other words, are we unsavable? Was this just destined from the beginning that we would be unsavable? Have we gone too far where we can't receive salvation? This may be. A feeling that you share. This may be a feeling that you have after you sin or if you reflect on the mistakes of your life. I know many people who, I've heard many testimonies rather, of people that accept the gospel to be true, but they're too afraid, they're too ashamed to present themselves to Christ. And ask for salvation and ask for forgiveness because of the things that they've done in the past. They feel like like they are just so far past salvation because of the terrible things that they've done. And I can I can empathize with this feeling to an extent because throughout my life when I have sinned Especially after doing so good in my walk with god If i've been doing great with my walk with god i've been avoiding sin and then all of a sudden I have a moment where I stumble it feels like i've taken two steps forward and a thousand steps back And at that point This moment of shame come where it feels like you're too far gone to be saved Maybe you've had that same feeling. But this feeling would have been similar to what the Jews probably felt after reading Paul's letter to them. Because Paul informs them over and over that that they rejected Jesus, that the way that they have been trying to fulfill the Torah has been wrong, that it was all about faith and belief and not your own personal works of righteousness this is all throughout romans we've already covered it already paul's really trying to correct a lot of incorrect theology and a lot of incorrect interpretations of the torah and so you can imagine to a jew who has grown up believing one way about their scripture their whole life and all of a sudden Paul comes along and tells them that no this is incorrect and you've been going about it the wrong way and then in verse 10 Paul says that their own table their own trust in themselves would be their downfall and that only a remnant would be saved you could imagine that there may be some Jewish believers in Rome that that goes oh man are we unsavable have we stumbled To a point where we've just officially and finally fell. And Paul continues and he replies to this and he says, by no means. By no means whatsoever. And Paul continues, he says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So Paul says, look. Your mistake, your, your sin, your momentary time of stumbling, that is not your end downfall. And we can see in this example of what happened in Rome that God used the stumbling, the trespass of the Jews to spread salvation to all the nations, to spread the gospel to all people. So if the Jews can be forgiven, For rejecting christ and even persecuting him and his followers then we can be forgiven for our transgressions as well so back to the question of can you be unsavable i'd have to say no i have to say no probably the the one exception would be where it talks about blaspheming the holy spirit but that's a that's a whole nother Podcast episode for another day <laughs> but but on to this next point, because Paul says that salvation went to the Gentiles because of the trespass of the Jews. How exactly did that happen? Well, Jesus gives a parable. Explaining how this would happen. He actually foretold this before paul even starts to explain this in his letter to the roman people And it's found in matthew chapter 22 verse 1 through 10 This is actually a really great parable It's the parable of the wedding feast and I want to read through it. it's just 10 verses uh, You can follow along with me if you want matthew 22 verses 1 through 10 and let's see what jesus has to say about The rejection of certain people that ends up bringing uh, joy and salvation to others it says in verse 1, and again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, "The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, 'Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast.'" But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. All right. I'm, I'm really tempted to just take the rest of this episode and just break down this parable and how many ties it has to the entire biblical narrative. But I got to control myself because that's not what we're focusing on today, but (laughs) We we will we will get to that at some point so Right off the bat we can see parallels to this parable To the biblical narrative and what this means for salvation coming to the gentiles You have the king's invitation, right? The king Uh being a picture of god the father. He has this wedding feast for his son jesus jesus multiple times um uses language talking about um a a marriage between christ and his people christ being the bridegroom and, and or sorry christ being the groom and us being his bride it's used time and time again so this is that same imagery and so he sent out his servants to let all the people he invited know hey this wedding feast is about to go down now his servants Uh, Are a picture of the prophets that god has sent out throughout the entire old testament narrative And the people who were invited were his people the jewish people they they were those who were originally invited And you see that These people rejected the invitation. They're like nah, we good. We got other things to do They they decided to tend to their own table as we've talked about with paul saying and that became their downfall but they also seized his servants treated them shamefully and killed them yet another image of how israel treated god's prophets they treated them like dirt they even killed many of them and so the king being god the father in this parable reacts by enacting judgment on his people who Ignored his invitation, and he then opened his doors to everyone out in the street, everyone out in the main road. This is a picture of the Gentiles, and he invited them all in, both good and bad, and he invited them into this wedding. Feast. This is a very vivid picture in the form of a parable of God sending his son Sending out his servants to let them know about this wedding feast And the servants were killed which were the prophets and they were killed by the jews The jews rejected god his servants and his son and so god opened his doors to the gentiles This is one way where because of the jews trespass salvation was given to the jews another instance is in acts chapter 13 and it starts in verse 44 and it goes through verse 47 uh, but let's read through this it says the following week almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the lord but when some of the jews saw the crowds they were jealous so they slandered paul and argued against whatever he said then paul and barnabas spoke out boldly and declared it was necessary that we first preach the word of god to you jews But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. So we can see here that beforehand, the tension and the jealousy that led to the gospel being preached to the Gentiles, the the Jewish people, they were jealous. They slandered paul. They they rejected the servants that god sent out and so paul said all right Y'all won't y'all won't listen to what we're saying. We're gonna give it to the gentiles And in that very action of jews rejecting them the gospel being sent to the gentiles That is what would have caused the jewish people's jealousy, especially what paul is talking about here So it appears that when paul says that they had this trespass it appears that it not only covers just the rejection of the gospel but it also seems that it covers the crucifixion of christ the actual persecution that happened because think about it the only way salvation for anyone could have been obtained it would have had to been through christ dying It's not enough for just them to reject the gospel But we wouldn't even know of the gospel today if christ wouldn't have died and rose again and in a way The jews caused that they were the ones that persecuted jesus so because of that trespass All receive salvation. It's also important for us to remember that Israel was told about Gentiles being a part of salvation way before Jesus. That's why it kind of interests me that that they're jealous. That that they're jealous that the Gentiles are receiving salvation. Because this is something that what was prophesied far before Christ ever came into the picture. Look at Isaiah 49, chapter 6. And, and this is what Paul quoted in Acts 13, verse 47. It says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So what Isaiah 49 6 tells us and told Israel back in the Old Testament was that God's purpose for Israel was for them to be an example, to be a light to the sinful Gentile nations around them. So that, as he says, my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The very point of Israel was that they be set apart and that they be a light and an example of what God's people are supposed to be so that the nations around them could see that light, act accordingly and receive salvation that God wanted for all the earth. So this is why for me, it's just crazy to think that that the jewish people would be jealous of the gentiles receiving salvation because it's already been prophesied but it it appears that that they missed it because think about it in a way israel succeeds in what god wanted them to be god wanted to use israel as a way for salvation to reach the ends of the earth and in a way they succeeded but not in the way that it was originally intended Because salvation did reach the Gentiles, yes. But it wasn't because Israel was the light that they were supposed to be. It was because they rejected the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And because of that rejection, salvation reached the end of the earth. It's kind of interesting how that happens. But on the verse 12, he says, Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Paul's goal here is for Israel to find salvation. And this is a point that I kind of keep mentioning that Paul wants the Jewish people to be saved. He wants them to find Christ. It's very easy reading through Romans. It's very easy to feel like paul is just bashing the jews like he's just bashing what they believe and he's just bashing all the things that they've done and we have to remember that paul's goal is for them to find salvation he is just trying to correct the incorrect theology that they held for so long but he looks forward to them being included he wants this so bad and we can learn something from this. Because it's one thing to just point out the failures and sins of someone or a group. But it's another to just be fine with leaving them out to dry. And Paul doesn't do this. Paul's whole goal is to have as many Jews as possible to be grafted back into Christ. And we should take that same attitude towards other people. And can I just be honest with you that I have been guilty of doing the exact opposite of what Paul wants. Because there are times where I will see someone acting like a fool Living in sin, maybe even rejecting christ. I know y'all have come across this if you're on social media You'll have people in your life or or people on facebook who will be in the comment section or who'll be saying stuff about about Jesus or about the bible and and they just say some of the most egregious things and The first thing that you want to respond with is yo good riddance You'll get what you ask for there's so many times i'll see people who just say the most foolish things about christianity or about our beliefs and my first response always wants to be amen they have no clue what they're talking about they're just going to go down like the rest of them and isn't that terrible isn't that terrible because what paul does is yes Paul does say things like he did in Acts where he says, look, I did all I could do and they're still rejecting it. Their blood is not on my hands. But we also have to remember that Paul also did all he could do. He did everything he do, he could do. He tried to reason with them. He tried to give them evidence. He tried to preach it. He tried to appeal to uh, commonalities between them to help them uh, feel more welcome in receiving the gospel. Paul went above and beyond to try and bring the gospel to the most resistant groups. But even at this point, even after all that's been said and done, Paul still says, man, imagine what the body of Christ would be like if we could get them included. It's just weird when I look at At my natural response and and maybe y'all have the same natural response as well We're not perfect. I get that you have this response where when you see someone rejecting god and they're acting foolish and you know It and they're being rude and hateful and they're not acting loving your your response is Uh, your response is just a you are gonna get what you ask for and this may be a symptom of the west I don't know Just just kind of leaving people to their own devices Seeing someone that maybe you even care about and love walking in sin and your response is, hey, they're an individual. They're making their own individual choices. It's not my job to get in the middle of it. But I wonder if we should challenge that idea. I wonder if we should do more. I wonder if we should do more. I've been reading this book. Uh, It's called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. I believe that's what it's called. And the whole point of the book is to Uh, Give a western perspective of how we read the bible and different values that we bring in and different social standards that we try and impart on the biblical text and contrasting that with more eastern um, collectivist community based ideals with different values different social cues different things that went without being said that would have been prevalent in the actual authors who authored the scripture and so it's giving this dichotomy showing how through western eyes if we're not careful we can actually misread scripture and we can highlight things in scripture that the authors never really intended to highlight and because of that we miss what they actually wanted us to see in the authors one of the authors uh did mission work in Indonesia and he gave this example of individualistic values in the west versus a more community based value in the east and he talked about how he was doing missions trips in indonesia and he was talking to the christian teenagers there about dating and he talks about how in the west when it comes to dating it's an individual thing right for most western people dating goes like this you're a teenager 16 17 you decide you want to go date somebody who decides who you date you do So you're a 16 year old teenager. You don't have much world experience. You honestly don't know what you should be looking for in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a dating partner or a potential spouse. You have no clue because you're ignorant because you're a teenager. But in this individualistic Western society, it's your job to pick and choose who you date. And when you find out who you want to date, how do you go on a date? Well, you surely don't go on dates Uh, Around all your family and your friends because you want to get to know the person better You want to get close you want to try and kiss and do all this stuff. So you go out on a date Just by yourself with someone else And you're only 16 and who knows what on earth you're going to get yourself into because you are a human teenager who has these human natural attractions and you have these urges and you have these emotions and you have all these chemicals running through your body where you want to do things that you know you shouldn't be doing. But since we live in an individualistic society where the only person who can tell you what to do is yourself and your conscience, you are going to make the decision to go out with someone that you truly don't know and who knows where it will lead. And you end up with all of these problems. You end up with uh, having children out of wedlocker, dating someone who is really, really not good for you, but you had no idea what to look for because you, the last thing you would ever allow someone to do is for your parents or your grandma or your aunt and uncle to tell you who you can and can't date. So that's the Western version of Of dating. It's all up to the person. So if that person fails, in the West, we simply go, hmm, oh, you're dating a scumbag? Well, you're going to find out what happens when you date a scumbag and you just leave them to their own choices and their own devices. Versus what the author talks about in Indonesian dating in a more collectivist, community driven uh, culture. He talked about the Christian teenagers being shocked. At the idea that they would go on a date by themselves he talked about how um he was like oh yeah y'all, are y'all just gonna go on a date today go hang out go bowling or something and they were like what no we wouldn't we wouldn't dare go go on a date somewhere by ourselves who knows what we could get ourselves into in these community driven cultures primarily in the east the teenagers there understood that Being left to their own devices being just hung out to dry to make their own choices They realized that it was a bad thing and they leaned on their community. They leaned on their family They leaned on their parents to vet the people that they were dating saying no This person probably isn't good for you. No, they don't have values that align with what you should be following and I say all of this to say that in our western culture We have such a we put individualism on such a pedestal that we will allow people who are who are ignorant, not because they're unable to know, but because they're so young and they don't know any better. We allow them to make these important, almost life changing decisions. And we, we look down on anyone who tries to insert themselves into this to help these people. So when they make a bad choice or when they're dating someone that we say, yo, y'all shouldn't be dating. Y'all shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be making these actions. Our response is, well, Hey, they got to learn their lesson. If they get, if they get hurt because of this person or they end up pregnant, well, guess what? That's on them. They're going to have to face the consequences. Is that what Christ would have wanted from us? Would Christ have expected us to look at the people that we love, make bad choices, and simply just say, Oh, well, good luck? Or would he want us to be like Paul, where Paul says, Yo, Jews, y'all have made all these bad decisions. You've kind of looked at the text in an incorrect way, in an incorrect way. And instead of just leaving you out to dry, I want to tell you that there is a better way. I want to help you lean on this community, lean on this church, lean on this teaching, because you don't have to do it alone. We don't want you to be out there doomed to face your own individual decisions. We want you to be included in the body of Christ. And I wonder if we need to, as a Western culture, at least, if we need to take that same mindset with the people around us on to verse 13. Paul says, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. He picks on, on their jealousy here as a means to drive them back to Christ. And to me, that's interesting because we normally view jealousy as a strictly sinful action. But it seems like here that jealousy pointed in the right direction can bring about tremendous change, dare I even say salvation. Let me give you an example. So when I first started studying the Bible and apologetics, when I first started the podcast, I really did not know much about anything. It, it was a blessing that the first few episodes of the podcast were theologically sound because I, I just didn't know. I knew I was supposed to do it, but I really didn't know anything. So when I first started studying the Bible and studying apologetics and, and learning about its history, I would read or I would listen to some of the most intellectual philosophers and theologians and thinkers. And very quickly, I realized that there was so much I did not know. And in a way, it made me jealous. It made me jealous how smart these people were and how much they knew, but I didn't have ill feelings towards them, but I did see what they had, which was knowledge and understanding, and I wanted it, and that drove me to seek God more. It drove me to read more. It drove me to study. It drove me to learn as much as I can. It drove me to build back my relationship with God that was lost for so many years. And that was a healthy jealousy. But now the wrong jealousy drives you to take what is not yours. It drives you to hate the person that has what you do not have. But the jealousy I had, it was a good jealousy. It drove me to be a better version of myself and succeed. And this is what Paul was hoping for with the Jews that they would see that the gentiles have a relationship with yahweh they see that the gentiles are receiving something that they currently do not possess they see that the gentiles are now being lifted up in this status of salvation and and the jews had to recognize that hey we don't have to take this from the gentiles Because this is already an option, but it would have been the jealousy of seeing that the Gentiles have something that they currently do not that was supposed to drive them to want Jesus more. That was the point. And so we have to understand that jealousy has two facets. It can either make you bitter or it can make you better. And what Paul was hoping for is that somehow when the jews saw that the gentiles had the salvation that they were being grafted in that they were a part of abraham's promise somehow that would make them jealous to want that same relationship with christ that the gentiles had on to verse 15 for if their rejection means reconciliation of the world what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead So when paul says their rejection means reconciliation that that's alluding to their choice to reject christ To persecuting and killing him Which ultimately led the gospel message to be spread And nobody honestly nobody expected That killing christ would cause the complete opposite of what they intended you have to remember That the jews that killed christ the the jewish leaders that that killed jesus their whole goal was to end what they thought was just a normal human life their whole goal was to end the the shame that was being brought upon them especially with the pharisees and the sadducees because jesus was oh my jesus was jabbing bro jesus was in the ring just dodging their punches hitting them with jabs jesus was bringing shame upon them Exposing them for what they were and their whole intention was we're going to get rid of this jesus dude So we can go back to being in charge But nobody expected that killing jesus would cause the complete opposite of what they wanted first corinthians chapter 2 verse 7 actually Actually kind of has a really good point towards this paul says this to the corinthian church. He says no The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of god his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul saying, yo, nobody. No, not the demons. not not Satan, not the, the really theologically sound Jews, the Pharisees, nobody knew what God had in store. They had no clue that Jesus was the son of God and that if they killed him, that would actually bring salvation. They had no clue that that was God's plan. And if they did, if the demons, if the Jews, if the Roman soldiers, if all these people that were involved knew that god's plan for salvation was for christ to die they would have never killed him but they didn't know it so this rejection that paul talks about is what leads to reconciliation paul is looking forward to the time where they will accept christ that they will have life from a state of spiritual deadness that's what he's looking forward to On to verse 16, this is going to be a quick one. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And as much as I want to do a breakdown, we are out of time for this episode. We're going to reread verse 16 and beyond next week because we got to read it in the context of what comes after to truly understand it. Thank you all so much for hanging out. I will catch you all next week.